Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Kenneth Turan. Kenneth is a film critic for the LA Times and NPR, a great friend of the Yiddish Book Center and board member as well. But we'll learn more about Kenneth and his thoughts on Yiddish cinema. Welcome, Kenneth. Oh, great to be here. Uh, lovely to have you join us today, and it's always fun to talk to you about movies, uh, Yiddish classics included in that. And I've been eager to speak with you about the newly released box set of 10 classic Yiddish films, which I just read your review in the LA Times, um, and you wrote including some of the best ever made. So before we start talking about this new release, full disclosure, I've never seen this set yet. I've only read about it. So curious to hear your thoughts on the selections included. Yeah, well, this is, a, you know, this is the first time that uh, Yiddish films have been released on Blu-ray in a box. You know what I mean? It may even be the first time Blu-ray period. Definitely there's not been a box before. And it's a chance to see 10 Yiddish films. And, you know, I think the whole idea of them is that there would be a cross-section of Yiddish films. I mean, it's interesting how this whole idea for this box set came about. And, you know, they're, they're great films and they're films that are just average films. And that's what the, the people who put this out really wanted to do. They wanted to offer a cross-section. Well, it, it's interesting um, from the point of view of um, when the center is open to the public, we do film screenings and Blu-ray is becoming a challenge because some of these films you can no longer screen because all of the technology is obsolete. So this is very exciting as well um, on that end. Um, can you talk a little bit about Yiddish film sort of as a genre unto themselves or how you would place them in that sort of larger landscape? Because I feel like sometimes they may be dismissed as sort of lowbrow art. And I do feel like there's a justification for them providing kind of a window into an immigrant story in some ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is a, you know, as you know, there's a word uh, that you hear about literature and also sometimes about Yiddish film, uh, shund, you know, which means kind of trash, uh, the opposite of high art. And uh, sometimes Yiddish films are in that category, but they, they really shouldn't be. I mean, the Yiddish films are only probably maybe a hundred of them were ever made. They were made in a finite period of time and uh, they were made in the United States. They were made in Europe. And they, uh, you know, for me, the thing that's wonderful about them is that they are a window into a culture that is no more, you know, the the culture of Yiddish speaking Yiddishkeit, you know, that flourished in the United States and in Europe. And, you know, these this is our parents, this is our grandparents, this is our great grandparents. You really get a sense of not only how they lived, but what was important to them, what issues matter to them. Uh you know, and in some ways, one of the things that's interesting about them is that they exist on two levels. On one level, they the people who made these films really, I think, never imagined that there would be you know, a Blu-ray box set. You know, these were films made in the moment, intended only for Yiddish-speaking audiences. No one, I think, in most of these films, no one ever imagined that people who didn't speak Yiddish, who uh, who would have to use subtitles, who might not get all the jokes and references, that these people, you know, that these films would be seen by a much wider variety of an audience than that. But one reason they are seen is that the best of these films, because of the artistry and the passion with which they were made, the best of these films really do universalize. They are of such a quality that 
anyone who cares about film will see the value in them. In in the films that I've seen, I think it's safe to say that they deal with a lot of sort of intergenerational issues and encounters with the new world. Do you think that they were meant to convey these stories or to help, um, you know, sort of serve as a, not a guide, but in some way validating that this is a common experience. It's not just your child who's acting out in the new world. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I think they do both. You know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff, uh, you know, a lot of stuff about trouble, you know, trouble with children and trouble with parents. You know, there's a lot of stuff about, you know, children wanting to marry people that the parents didn't approve of, you know, uh, or sometimes having done it. You know, there's a line in one of the films where uh, a father says, my my worst enemy should have such a son-in-law, you know, (laughs) There's a lot of stuff like that. And also, you know, one of the things that's interesting about these films is that there's a lot of what you'd have to call Yinglish. You know, they're, they're Yiddish language films, but every once in a while, uh, characters will say something in English. You know, the way the reality was, I think, uh, for a certain generation of Jews is that they spoke both English and Yiddish. And that's reflected in the films. And um, one of the films that is included in this collection is the Dybbuk. It's a classic um considered on a lot of different levels um, and looked at. It's also worth mentioning that this is the 100th anniversary of the first stage production of Vonsky's classic play, and so it's kind of a fun time to discuss this, both the work and, and its place in terms of the Yiddish film. Yeah, no, this is the Dybbuk, I think, for most people, and I definitely am in that category. You know, if you had to pick one Yiddish film, one Yiddish language film, that's the best Yiddish language film ever made, you'd pick the Dybbuk. In fact, I remember, you know, when I was a kid, you know, probably 10, 12, 14, something in there, first getting interested in film, and I bought this book called Classics of the Foreign Film by a guy named Parker Tyler, and it was a very highbrow critic, and there was a lot of very kind of deep dish French films and German films in this volume. And I'm turning the pages and here's a film in Yiddish. And this was the Dybbuk. And this is the first I'd ever heard of this film. And it just astonished me that, but I knew all about Yiddish. My parents were native speakers. They spoke it all the time. You know, I couldn't believe that Yiddish could be involved with a high art film. And that's what the Dybbuk is. The Dybbuk is a high art Yiddish film. It's beautifully directed, art directed. It's very stylized in its look. It's got a folktale kind of a motif. You know, dancing, you know, singing. There's moments where, you know, Hasidish and Yagun get sung. It's really, uh, it's quite a film. It's quite, quite, quite a film. And I've seen it numerous times. I saw it again, you know, for this. You know, it's kind of like The Godfather, which for me is a film where you see it kind of, you're you're kind of channeling, surfing through your TV and you see it on and you say, well, I'll watch just for a few minutes and you can't stop watching The Godfather. And for me, you can't stop watching The Dybbuk. As often as I've seen it, it's got such a powerful lure for me that once I put it on, as I put it on again to see it, you know, for, you know, this new set, this new DV, this new Blu-ray box set, I couldn't stop watching it. Watch it all the way to the end. Yeah, I, um, well, there are two questions related to that that I have for you. Um, one, what's it like when you come back to it? You know, there are there different takeaways each time you watch it? 
Not necessarily. I mean, this time they've put new, new, new sub. You know, one of the things that has happened with this set is that they've put new subtitles on it. Sometimes they've actually physically blocked out the old subtitles and put the new ones on top of them. But I, you know, every time I see it, I'm just newly astonished at how good it is. You know, I sometimes wonder, well, maybe it's not as good as I remembered, and you know, this and that. Maybe I'll, I'll, you know, I'll have had enough of the Dybbuk. But it's got such an innate power that for me, every time I see it, I'm struck anew by how extraordinary it is. And I I read recently that the the first stage production, and I hope I get this right, um, factual, factually, or um, that the first stage production um, was done by um, the Vilna troupe following Oski's death um, because it was a very ambitious play to stage. Uh, so I'm wondering how you think that doing this um, in film allowed for it to be realized in all of its, you know, sort of amazing potential because it's, it's complicated. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they do, you know, obviously I did not see the original stage production and I yeah. don't know that <laughs> I, <I've... laughs> uh, I can't remember if I've seen a Yiddish stage production, you, uh, but, uh, you know, it, this takes a lot of care with how the film looks, with kind of not creating mood. You know, this is kind of as, you know, I'm sure our listeners know, this is a supernatural love story. This is about what happens when two best friends, uh, disciples of, uh, of a rabbi, you know, they decide that they're going to betroth their children, that if one of them has a boy and the other one has a girl, both of their wives are pregnant, that the, 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 the boy and girl will marry and what happens is that one of the fathers dies, and the other father forgets about his vow, and these two young people who are fated to be together meet in circumstances where they can't be together, and the only way the the groom, the potential groom, can think of to make this vow come true is to become a dibek, to die, and become a spirit that possesses the body of his intended bride. So it's very spooky, it's very supernatural, it's very kind of doomed romantic. In fact, the uh, the actors who played uh, the bridegroom, uh, Lily Liliana and Leon Liebgold, they ended up getting married, uh, and they became figures, you know, in the Yiddish theater and the you know the Yiddish stage. It's uh, it's quite a film. I think it's quite a film. It's spooky. It's got supernatural elements. It's got things. There's a character called the messenger who kind of is a fate, and he has a something that only film can do. He appears and disappears. You see mm-hmm. him walking down a road, and then all of a sudden he's gone, and then he appears somewhere else. So there are ways that that only film can do that make it especially spooky and that really uh, underscore the kind of supernatural elements at work here. Well, that's what's kind of interesting. It's, it's just he didn't realize, but um, at some point, film would be the vehicle for which um, telling the story would work so effectively because there are ways that you can do things on film that you couldn't do on stage in terms of the sort of spirit and imagination behind it. Absolutely. You know, it's a good question. I wonder what Ansky would have thought if he could have seen the film version. You know, if he would have been happy or if he would have said, ah, they didn't get it right. (laughs) They should have listened to me, you know. But it feels very much in the spirit of the play, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I've read the play. I know I've read translations of the play, and it just feels very much like the play. In in terms of putting this in a box set with these nine other films, do you think that the Dybbuk 
stands out in some way um, because they're sort of it's multifaceted. Well, it's it's of a higher for some reason it's of a higher production value quality. I mean, because it is it is in some way stage bound. Most of it takes place indoors, but because it's so stylized, even outdoor situations like uh, oh, there's a scene in a cemetery, things like that. They're so stylized, and some of the wedding is outdoors. There's uh, you know even though they're outdoor elements, the stylization of the look gives it a kind of quality that some of the other productions don't have. Some of the other productions feel like, you know, they were made for very little money and they feel like they were made for very little money. And the Dybbuk never feels that way. You never feel that if they'd had another X amount of dollars, it would have been much better. So it stands out from that point of view. But really, because they're all in Yiddish, they're all part of the same continuum. They're all part of the same world. So they definitely go well together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a couple of other ones, the Jewish King Lear is in the set. Yeah. No, the one, the other, you know, it's interesting. The way, uh, the way I want to step back a minute, the way this, you know, Kino Lorber and Kino Classics, which put this out, they, uh, they had, among the other, they've done similar box sets for uh, African, early African American films, pioneer women directors. So they were approached by uh, Serge Bromberg, who's the head of Lobster Film, which is a French organization that's very involved in restoring old films. And they had restored three films. They had restored the Dybbuk. They had restored Tevye, which is the great, uh, you know, version of uh, the Shalom Aleichem stories that uh, stars Marie Schwartz as Tevye. This is, you know, the pre-Fiddler on the Roof version of Tevye that people should really see because it's really spectacular. And there's a documentary called Mir Kumanon, which is an unusual documentary about a sanitarium in Poland from 1935. And Serge Bromberg had restored these three films, and he wanted to know if... Uh, Kino Lorber wanted to bring them out, and they had the idea of expanding it to 10 films to fit in with their other box sets. So he found other films, and they are of varying qualities. They're all interesting. So one of the films you mentioned, The Yiddish King Lear, is from a classic play by Jacob Gordon, obviously inspired by King Lear, but about a rich merchant who uh, decides he's going to devote his life to Torah study and you know leave his money to... Uh, you know, his son-in-laws, and it, as you can imagine, as in the original King Lear, it doesn't necessarily work well. Uh, so, again, some of these things are just fascinating because they're cultural markers, they're landmarks, they're things that were, uh, you know, successes. Of, uh, the Gordon was a play that was hugely successful in the Yiddish theater, so you can also get a sense from watching this of what the Yiddish theater audiences were seeing. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting to me. I mean, within... If we think about what is happening with Yiddish literature through translation and certain the work, certainly the work that we're doing here at the Yiddish Book Center, um, what's happening in music, you know, how Yidstock lends itself to that. It, all of these suggest that we're at a point in time where we can kind of look at all of this. I, it's not a term I love to use, but people use it, cultural production. Um in a in a sort of broader, more universal, more global context, and so it seems that bringing these out in a box set, Blu-ray, um, and and the mix of titles, it's almost begging that we kind of rethink or reimagine them in a new way. All these many years later, is that a oh, fair? Oh yeah, consideration? I think that's totally true. I mean, basically, it's basically saying these films are part of the canon. These films were made. You know, these films are of value. These films are films 
that a you know Kino Lorber's audience is largely cinephiles, people who love film. They love film in all its varieties, documentaries, every kind of foreign language film you can imagine. And they're saying that basically this is part of that world. This is not just something that Jews made for Jews. This is something that anyone who loves and cares about film can love and appreciate. Mm-hmm. Are there any films that you would have included if you were able to make the choices? Oh, sure. I mean, there's a, a film, there are two or three films that I think of. There's a film called Green Felder, Green Fields, which is a really strong film. There's a, a, probably the, in some ways uh, as romantic, you know, a, a, another romantic kind of a little bit of a sad romantic film called uh, The Light Ahead. Uh, I would have loved to have included. And uh, I would have included something by Molly Pecan, you know, uh, the, the great, uh, <laughs> the mm-hmm. very feisty actress uh, who was a great singer, great dancer, and uh, just a terrific presence on the Yiddish stage and screen. I would have included something by her. I mean, and I think it's possible that, you know, sometimes there are rights issues with these films. It's never clear why something's included and something is not included. But in an ideal world, I would have included some other films as well. But it's great to have this as a starting point. Great. Well, as we um, ready for Hanukkah, it's a great idea to consider as we're all home looking for things to watch. Um, the name of the collection is Jewish Soul, 10 Classics Yiddish Cinema. It was just released. Uh, it's um, available through, you know, Lorber, uh, K-I-N-O-L-O-R-B-E-R. And I hope and suspect that it will be available through the Yiddish Book Center's online store, shop.yiddishbookcenter.com. Org. Um, so thanks for joining us today and for lending a lot of good thinking to the conversation. And I certainly will take a look at the Dybbuk um, in celebration of the 100th anniversary. So I've got Jewish Soul 10 Classics on my wish list for Thursday, the first night of Hanukkah. Um, stay well and uh, stay in touch. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Sarah Blakefeld. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon. Mm-hmm.